to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Second Corinthians 4, verse 8. I do want to emphasize prayer tonight in our sanctuary, and I want everybody to look this way. If you tell other people this is your church, then these are your prayer meetings to pray for this church. I know our schedules are full, and I don't expect you to come each Sunday. But everyone that calls this place their church can come once a month and pray for this church. Because if God's Spirit does not go with us, I don't want to go. And we need His blessing and His pleasure. And so I want to encourage you to commit to pray not only at home, but in this sanctuary once a month, one Sunday night a month, for this local church. Second Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Troubled on every side. This is the believer, yet not distressed. Perplexed. That word perplexed, the Greek word means at a loss. But not in despair. Not at an utter loss. We lose things, but we don't lose everything. We are disappointed in life, but we're not despondent. Can you hear this in the words of Jesus in John chapter 6? He says, from this time, or it said, many time, from this time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus turned unto the twelve and said, will you also go away? Life has a way of disappointing you over the years in every area. Relationally. Physically. Financially. Spiritually, personally, and disappointments, they're like getting hit in the stomach by someone very strong. You're not going to die, but you feel like you are. You can't breathe. You can't be productive when you can't breathe. Disappointments are a powerful tool. The devil uses disappointment to push you over the brink into despondency where disappointment literally crushes the very essence of who you are. God uses disappointments to break us so that we'll have an, uh, a clinging nature to him, a, a brokenness that leads to great strength and great power. I've got a lot to cover this morning, so I'm saying this for my benefit, but I don't want to be in a hurry. I'd rather not finish and carry over or just give you what I can than be in a hurry. The first year that I was a believer, I remember how everything was so new. I remember walking into church, and it's like the music wouldn't even start, and my hands would go up, and I would just weep at the possibilities of, of God and God in my life, knowing my sins were forgiven. But what troubled me was the mixed bag of nuts that I worshiped with. I'm serious. I looked around and, you know, I'm sitting on the second row and I'm fired up and I'm like, God, what is wrong with all these backslid ungodly reprobates? What's wrong with them? They're not excited. They're not filled with the spirit. They're not joyful. And I had that new zeal and I didn't realize that some of them had endured many disappointments. There were two sisters there. 
I think they were like 100 when I was, I don't know how old they were. They had Noah's beeper number. I know that. They could punch in him. Young kids say, what's a beeper? Never mind, never mind. Their names were Kate and Pauline. And I am not exaggerating this story. Kate was the sweetest Christian. She would see you and she'd go, hey, baby. And she'd hug you and she had a cane and she had all kinds of physical problems. And I went to see her in the hospital and they had taken skin grafts off her leg to to, to some other place of infection. And I mean, it was so painful. You could see the infection coming through the gauze. I remember it like yesterday. And I would walk in, I'd say, hey, Miss Kate. She'd go, oh, hey, precious. Just had the goods. And her sister Pauline, she looked like she had been baptized in gasoline. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, good morning, Pauline. Is it? Is it really one? You're like, whoa. Pauline had been married. Kate had never found a husband. Pauline had children. Kate had never had children. Pauline had all that women generally want, and Kate seemed to not have that. Disappointments came to both of them. Struggles came to both of them. But disappointment can either do a number on you, or it can do a number in you. And I want to speak to you this morning about your disappointments. And I believe I have a word from the Lord for you. And I believe you'll find great encouragement through this word. How many believe there might be something in this for you today? Amen. Join with me as I pray for me this morning. God, I just make myself available to you and I ask you to anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Let me preach with clarity and distinctiveness that would be like arrows to the soul that would bring uh, medicine and healing. Like water finding the lowest point, uh, let the water of your Spirit find the lowest point of our heart today and let Jesus receive glory through our wholeness and our change of perspective. In Christ's name, amen. First, I want to talk to you about the reality of disappointment. Disappointment means, the definition, is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Read it again. It's the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. This feeling of sadness can range from measurable to immeasurable, from discouraging to debilitating, and can sidetrack a person temporarily or permanently. Cumulative disappointment is one of the most powerful forces in the world. It can cause the strongest of us to crumble, the most committed to turn back, the most vocal to lose their voice, and those who have preached to others become castaways. Disappointment can cause us to question the reality of God, the omniscience of God, the sovereignty of God will question the caring of God and God's willingness or power to intervene, provide, or protect. Disappointment is real. And if you can't recognize what it is, how can you deal with what it does? Disappointment is not sin. Disappointment is not a character flaw. I want to be very clear on this. My problem is not that I don't believe. My problem is that I do. And I have expectations For the goodness of God in the land of the living. I have hope in every situation. 
I believe that the plans God has for me are to bless me and prosper me and bring me to an expected end. I believe I'm loved, cared for, watched over, provided for, and protected. And for the believer, there's a strange tension between expectation and disappointment. Dis, not making the appointment. It's almost as if they didn't show up, that God didn't show up. And if disappointment is going to be common in my life, and disappointment is going to be real in my life, then I need to learn the tools necessary to navigate it. Because the answer is not living without expectation. That's death. You die. If you don't look towards tomorrow and go, God, what you got for me tomorrow? Then all you're doing is holding on to the crushed dreams of your yesterday. Disappointment is real. The reality of it. It's a tangible consistent, categorical, unmistakable reality in the life of the non-believer and in the life of the believer. And surely we ought to navigate disappointment better than those that know not Christ and have not the Spirit of Christ. Number two, the reasons for disappointment. We experience disappointment because God has put within each of us the capacity to hope and the opportunity to expect To expect that which seemingly should happen, that which might happen, that which has happened for others, and that which we long would happen for us. We experience disappointment because we have unrealistic expectations. I ought to be able to dunk a basketball. You're 52 with a broke back. You ain't going to dunk a basketball. Some disappointments we have are unrealistic. We experience disappointment because we have an inaccurate context. An inaccurate context. Please take this in the spirit in which I'm giving it. We're disappointed that we're not married because we have a context that says we should be married by a certain date. And where did we get that context? People around us. We ought to be married by a certain date. We ought to have children by a certain date. We ought to have a home by a certain date. And some of our disappointment comes because when you live in an inaccurate context, you can't meet expectations that God has not placed. We have roofs over our head and we curse that we don't have a home. We have a family and we curse that we don't have a certain part of the family. you got to live in appropriate context. God said in these things, here's what you rejoice. You rejoice in the fact that I will never leave you and I will forsake you. And every person has a void. Every person has a lack. And most people have a loss. I don't get along Get along is not the right word. I don't have a lot in common with people that have never buried anything. I don't, you don't get me and I don't get you. You have to lose some things. You have to be, you have to experience to connect with me. You have to understand that there were some places in my life I almost didn't live through. And we, the people on your road, just because they're dressed nice and got cologne on and look happy, you don't understand there were places that the devil tried to kill them. Our disappointments are not just real, but they're common. And there are reasons for them. Because we live in a fallen world with fallen natures and selfish dispositions 
That's why men can walk away from their families and women can walk away from their families. That's why our bodies decay at a fast rate. This world is under the curse. We are not, but it is, and we're living in it. And we're, just because we're Christians, we don't escape the self-centeredness of someone that would abandon us, betray us, reject us, or abuse us. It happens to us. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Disappointments fall upon both. We experience disappointment because without it, your love for this world would escalate. Let me say that again. Without disappointment, if everything worked for you, you would forget God in the land of the living. Disappointment is something that keeps us grounded, not to this world, but to the next one. And there, I'm going to touch on cynicism in just a moment, but this isn't cynicism. When you endure enough disappointments, and those of you that are about my age or longer, you understand what I'm saying. You're done here. I'm looking for a new city whose builder and maker is God. I have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful woman. I have wonderful babies. But this is not my home. This place with its sin-soaked nature and its anger and rebellion and selfishness, I don't like it. And if everything went your way, you'd like it here. And God uses disappointment to cut the ropes that keep your hot air balloon tied to this place. It's gracious. We don't see it as gracious in the moment, but it is. There are four main categories of disappointment. Disappointment with others. Disappointment with life. Disappointment with self. And disappointment with God. Others, life, self, and God. Jesus, when he healed the ten lepers and only one came back to thank him, he said, where are the nine? Is there only one that's returned to give glory to God? You, he was saying, you'd think if by all I've done for you, you would have recognized it and offered praise. Have you ever said things like this or felt them? Why can't they just do what they promised? Why can't they do what I've done for them? Why can't they simply do what's right? Why can't they do what God's word commands? Why can't they care, love, be kind, show up, and be faithful? Why? The why of relational disappointment can set you in a spiral, a cycle that is almost impossible to break free from without revelational truth. People will disappoint you because they're people. And here's the part that will balance you out. And you are that people to somebody else. No, oh yeah. They talk about you at lunch right after they leave church. <laughs> We're disappointed with life. Naomi came back to Bethlehem after she'd buried her husband and her sons. And they said, Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Don't call me pleasant anymore. It seems like this. It doesn't matter what you do. This is what you get. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't change it. And it doesn't matter what you do. It'll never be the same. And it doesn't matter what you do. It will never be good. And disappointment with life happens when our expectation in its proper context is not realized. In recent months, 
we've had precious people in this place bury husbands, fathers, children that didn't make it through the cycle. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, the best of people can go from pleasant to bitter. It's hard. It's hard when you look into a casket and the good man passes away and the drunk three houses up lives to be 80. That's hard for the Christian to get. This man beats his wife and he lives and he's strong and got the best house in the neighborhood and the other man's good and passes away or the other lady that doesn't even care about her children that drinks and smokes and takes drugs while they're in the womb and we can't even have one. If you're not careful, life will change you for the worse. And everybody gets dealt similar cards. Our disappointment seems greater because it's ours. Disappointment with self. Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I wind up doing. And who's going to deliver me from this body of death? What he was saying is, I'm a mess. You ever felt that? I am such a failure. I'm too far gone. I have no worth and I'm incapable of change. And then the one we can't talk about. Disappointment with God. John the Baptist, who was the light before the light came. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. Pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I baptize you with water, but that's the one. And then he got put in prison for his testimony. And Jesus is continuing on with the ministry and he's rotting away in prison. And his disciples come to see him one day and John the Baptist said, would you go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah or should I look for another one? What? Don't, don't make fun of him. Because the disciples went to ask Jesus. He saw them and he's, uh, hey boys, he's, hey, John the Baptist wanted us to ask you something. Sure. Are you really the Messiah? Or should John look for another one? How could his perspective change? Because his expectation of God did not include imprisonment. And he said, you go tell John the Baptist the things that you see. How the deaf hear and the lame walk and the, uh, the blind see and the poor have the gospel preached to him. And tell my friend, blessed is the one that doesn't get offended with me. Blessed is the one that doesn't get offended with me. Other voices in the wilderness aren't in prison. But John is. And then Jesus did something very important. You've got to catch this. He turned to the crowd who heard him address John the Baptist's disciples. And he said, what did you go out to see? A king in fine clothes? A reed shaken by the wind? He said, greater hath never been born a man of woman than that man. Now, when God in the flesh says, there hath never been born a man of woman greater than him. That's Noah, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, King David, Samuel, And if that man can fall victim to disappointment and doubt who the Lord is. I want you to catch the gravity of that. We need to be careful 
that disappointment, even though it's a reality, does not become a residence. We just have to navigate it. Are y'all getting help this morning? I'm, I'm, I'm helping myself right along. I'm good. I'm doing better. Number three, the, the results are the symptoms of disappointment. These are not always for every person, but you'll find many of them. And we've all been disappointed, but I'm speaking to disappointed people that that's an identity, a banner over their life. They can carry aught in unforgiveness towards God and others. They can easily become angry, bitter-filled, and hateful. Disappointed people naturally pull back and isolate themselves from other people. Disappointed people find it hard to dance with others. The woman that's asking the Lord every day for a baby and has four baby showers on her calendar for the upcoming month. It's hard to dance with them on the floor of your pain. It's hard to dance. And there is a place where you can do both. My wife taught me this. See, you wouldn't know these things about this wonderful woman of God the Lord gave me. She would go to your showers and sit and clap and do the gift and cry all the way home. She'd do both. She was disappointed by an experience, but not as a person. It's like, I can't let that get on me. You see, I may not have children yet, but if I stop living with other people, if I stop being, then I just cave in on myself. And some of you today are in a a tension-filled dance where you're doing both. And keep the fight up. Don't let disappointment take over. It's going to wash over you, but you don't have to live in it. You're going to feel it. Disappointed people become sullen, morose, and a negative disposition. I told you about Miss Pauline. And when I was first saved, I, I, I still messed with people intentionally. I don't do it so much now because the Lord convicted me of it. But she would just get on the van and just. And Kate would just sit on the front. Jesus, keep me near the cross. You know, just singing, just precious. And so Pauline was talking about some preacher and she was slandering him. And he told my nephew he wasn't even saved. And I didn't even think about it. I just turned and I said, he probably wasn't. So she called my pastor. I had to go in the office. And he goes, did you tell her her nephew wasn't saved? I said, yes, sir. He said, she's given me $150 worth of hell all week over you telling her that. And he said, John, please don't stoke that fire. That's just, she just morose and dried up. And listen, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens to people who let the disappointments of their life shape them, now watch, and excuse them, excuse them from leading a spirit-filled life that looks like this. Love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. You should have titled my message, Don't Be a Pauline, but I ain't gonna, I'm not using her last name, so you know. She's gone on to be with the Lord now, you know. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Put her on the other side of the street. I don't want to live near. <laughs> Sorry. Disappointed people 
inevitably become cynical. I can tell you if you're disappointed as a person. You see the negative in everything, whether you say it or not. You look for what could go wrong first. First. Now, many of us are thinkers and type A and realists, and we look at all the scenario, but if the overcoming idea is what bad can happen, that's cynicism. I don't like people like that. You see a little dog and go, oh, I bet he got rabies. <laughs> Quit. Quit. Y'all make us tired. Can somebody amen me right there so I don't feel my mistake? You're killing everybody. Waxed plants in your house are just withering and dying from listening to all that. Or silk flowers or whatever. They lose the capacity to live in the moment. To spontaneously laugh, to have joy and to have fun. They cannot enter into today because they're still crushed by yesterday. And yes, yesterday crushed us. And yes, the loss is crushed us. But we're not utterly at a loss. Do y'all remember, those of you middle-aged and older like me, do y'all remember those little bolo things you blew up that you could hit them? Okay, it had a kind of a big rear end and then a little narrow stomach and it come up like this and it had a little clown's face that said like, bring it. It looked at you like, hit me. Do y'all remember? And you'd hit it and it'd go, wow. You remember? And you I'm this time, I'm going to hit it so hard. And if you got close, it'd come back and hit you in the head. You know? <laughs> and you could hit it and the harder you hit it, the faster it came up. You know why? It's weighted in the bottom. Weighted. The glory of God, kabod, is, means weight. And Christ is in you. And you are weighted that no matter what life does to you, there is a natural coming back up. There's a naturalness. We know God is with us by, because we just keep coming out of stuff. We keep coming up out. Disappointed people cannot express hope or expectation. And listen, this is very important. And they often go blind. What do you mean they go blind? They're unable to see what they've had in the past, what they have in the present, and what is available in the future. All disappointed people see is their disappointment. Like looking into the sun... Their disappointment has blinded them to everything else. And finally, number four, the remedy for disappointment. Letter A, you outlive it. You just outlive it. Some of you are frustrated today because you're trying to orchestrate your life in such a way that you do not experience disappointment and you're going to drive yourself crazy. They're going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to steal. Your body ain't going to work. Your hair is going to fall out. Everything you lose on your head, guys, is going to grow on your back. You know, everything that you don't grow on your back is going to grow on her lip. It's going to happen, guys. I'm telling you, it, it's going to happen. Your dog's going to stop coming to you. Your refrigerator's going to stop keeping stuff cold. Your carpet's going to wear out before the 30-year guarantee, and they're not going to fix it because there's a loophole in their warranty. It's going, it's going to happen. So why are you trying to live in this bubble where it's not going to happen because we are afraid of pain? And it's going to happen. And I don't mean cynical like, it's going to happen. No, it's going to happen. So the punch that you don't see coming is the one that knocks you out. So I think I'm going to expect some disappointment, but there's a remedy to it. You outlive it. Not endure it. Live. Outlive it. 
You laugh in the day of your disappointment. You dance with your kids in the day of disappointment. You go fishing. You feed ducks. You eat with a friend. You listen to a song. You keep living. You outlive the disappointment. That's the remedy. Jesus said, yes, I've come that you would have life. And that, does that phrase more abundantly describe you? More abundantly is not strength. It's perspective. It's perspective. Y'all notice my little brace today? Kelly calls it the unofficial one. It's the unapproved one. The doctor gave me one that, you know, it's up here with the plastic and you pull the strap and everywhere you go, people go, oh, I'm sorry. And I didn't want that at church. So I wore my Spanx version of it right here. Yeah. Three people today said, oh, you've lost weight. No, baby. No, no, no. I unhooked this Velcro. It's like breaking a seal on a can of biscuits. <laughs> hey. I don't know what that had to do with my sermon, but it felt good to laugh. I just... You got to address your disappointments personally, accurately, prayerfully, humbly, and in faith. And don't navigate it alone. Find someone else that went through what you did. And if they are sweet and gentle, ask them to tell you the story. Sit down. You're not the first man that lost a wife. You're not the first woman that... Husband walked out on selfishly and foolishly. And it's horrible. It is horrible. But I want the perspective of someone like Kate that tells me how they made it over and how they made it through. Not endured it, but outlived it. You ever been in the room where a woman had a baby? Not the waiting room. In the room where the woman had the baby. Husbands are the funniest thing uh, n- not funny, it's not the right word. Um, unconscious of what's going on. So here they are staring at the machine. You know, the machine that judges contractions. That's a miracle to me how something can tell you. So here's the husband. This woman got sheets rolled up around her ha- hand. She's biting on a towel. One leg is hiked up this way and he goes, Hey, hey baby, here comes one. She, t- she takes the towel out of her mouth. You're an idiot. Puts it back in. <laughs> so there starts to be incredible pain. Please hear me. I'm not just being funny because I'm funny. I'm going somewhere. She's experiencing something different than just contraction. The doctor has called in somebody else. Something doesn't look right. Her heart gets absolutely terrified. The husband staring at the little monitor is of no use. And in many cases, the man she would die for, she asked, would you just leave the room? Watch. And her mother comes in who brought her into the world and says, baby, look at me. This is normal. You're all right. You're going to make it. And counsel from the person that's been there 
means more than the counsel of the doctors with their multiple doctorates and pastors and husbands and children. What you need is to find somebody in your life that you respect that's made it out sweet and let them tell you about their journey. That is good right there. That fits. The remedy for disappointment is to rehearse with gratitude all that God has done for you up to this point. What Drew said, that's it. It is impossible to be disappointed and grateful at the same time. It's impossible to be disappointed and grateful at the same time. And that disappointment is real. I was talking with a precious brother that lost a dad recently. And this was not a cheap band-aid to put on it. I said, I just want to remind you, grieve, grieve. There ain't no way to grieve but your way. But know this, you had more of a dad in your years than other people have in their entire life. That doesn't make the pain go away. The disappointment is real, but it's not a residence. Because we then focus upon the guaranteed reunion of that godly man that waits on us on the other side and it gives you perspective. And the man that's thanking the Lord every day. Thank you for my daddy and the heritage he gave me. Thank you, O Lord, for the granddaddy he was to my children. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord. So the disappointment falls on us, but it doesn't define us by being grateful. Kelly, would y'all go ahead and get them for me? It's imperative that you see God in your disappointment. Look for him. See God as he is before your stuff, in your stuff, after it, transcending it, orchestrating it, using it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God always has a plan. God's always working the plan. He uses every piece and he finishes the plan. Allow your disappointments to be redemptive. Let it drive you back to God. Let it drive you back to your knees. Let it go toe-to-toe with your pride that says you deserve better. Let it cut the cords that tie you to this world. Let it break you. Let it humble you. Let it make you. Let it sanctify God in your hearts and realign you with your greatest purpose, your greater purpose and higher calling. Let it bring about the perfect setting for deeper praise. And there are people in this room, when I say this, your spirit's going to say, I have been there. There's a difference between praise in the sanctuary and praise in the bedroom where you used to share yourself with your wife and husband who left you and you're in that bedroom by yourself and you lift your hands and say, I love you today. There's a difference between praising the Lord in the sanctuary and in the ICU unit where you lift one hand and go, I bless your great name, O Lord. Some of you have the opportunity to praise the Lord from prison from pain, from the funeral home, and with integrity, with your guts trembling, say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be his great name. And it's on record. It's on record. Bless the Lord. And finally, you need to believe again. Jesus said in John eleven forty to Martha and Mary, whose brother had died, And they were greatly disappointed because they got word to Jesus and Jesus didn't come. And when Jesus showed up three days later after Lazarus had died, the first words out of her mouth were, if you'd have just been here, disappointment. 
And Jesus told her, he said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of the Lord? She's talking about what hasn't happened. And the Spirit of the Lord today is talking about what is on the calendar to happen. But you've got to come out of the disappointment to hear it. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Hey, we saw the disappointment. Wouldn't it make sense that we can also see the glory of the Lord? If we saw the loss, couldn't we see the gain? If we saw the dysfunction, can't we see the healing? I just, again, thank you, Lord, for healing my back. I'm thankful that I'm going to be able to pick up my babies and throw them in the air. I'm thankful for it, Lord. Thankful. One of the primary ways God heals our disappointment is with his glory. Don't forget who Jesus was talking to at Lazarus' tomb. The disillusioned Martha. The shaken Martha. The weeping Martha. The confused Martha. The Martha whose prayers were unanswered. But God loved this Martha. And God heals disappointments with glory. Write that down in your notes. He heals disappointments with his glory. And we see his glory when we walk in faith with him. And there is a glory today for your disappointments. Ben, if you would come, please. Glory revealed in the fulfillment of God's promises. Glory revealed in the manifestations of his presence. Glory in the character of his person. Glory in the displays of his power, his magnificent power. So here's Mary and Martha. Here's the tomb of Lazarus. Mary saw Jesus. She said the same thing. See, they both were overcome with this disappointment. If you'd have just been here, if you'd have just stepped in, you could have stopped it. If you'd have just done something. And the facts are, the Lord didn't do anything to stop it. And some of you struggle today, like I have, with what the Lord didn't do. And Jesus is saying to you through the preached word, if you'll just believe, you'll see the glory of the Lord. He walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and he prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I'm not saying this for my sake. I'm saying it for everyone else that is listening. And I know you hear me always. He walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and he said, get up. And that dead man who was decomposing, recomposed, got up out of the ground and came to him. And he said, untie him and let him go. The glory of what God is going to do can, can eclipse the disappointment of what God didn't do. Oh, I'm not good with years, but I think it was like eight years ago. There was a girl in the prayer group that prayed often for me. There were really three core people, Stacy Jordan, Mama Sheila, and Kelly McQuarrie. And my verse I said all the time was, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. My heart is sick because that which I hope for has not happened. I just live so disappointed. He won't answer. He won't answer. What good is God's promises if I can't get them? What good is love if I can't feel it? He won't answer.